Welcome to the Elevate Your Brand podcast, where we help online coaches learn how to elevate their brand, become the experts in their industries, so they can bring in more clients and create a life they want. I am your host, Chris Anderson. And if you want to make a difference in the lives of others, share this episode, go over to Apple Podcasts and follow us there to leave a positive rating and review, and together we can leave a bigger positive mark on the world. Today we have Patrick Parker. He is an accomplished tech executive turned founder with domestic and international experience in operations, custom software development, multi-channel product distribution and marketing involving both startup and growth operations. And this is where it gets really fun and interesting. We're going to talk about he has bootstrapped companies that he has founded to millions annual reoccurring revenue. And he's raised venture capital to build out teams, to refine product features and user experiences and to execute go-to-market strategies. So, Patrick Parker, welcome to the show today, man. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. That intro is something else, man. In short, <laughs> I tell people grow their businesses, but uh, it makes it yeah. sound like I've done a lot more than I have, I guess. Well, yeah, your experience is pretty cool to look at, and I'm excited to dive into this today and just you know give some actionable tips and strategies for those who are building brands, building businesses who are bootstrapping. I know that's what I've been doing and that's what I'm still doing, you know, with Elevate. And so I had that introduction, but tell us a little bit more about you. What makes you tick? What do you do for fun outside of building multi-million dollar businesses? Who is Patrick Parker? Sure, sure. So I started out like a lot of other people working for someone else. I was in big four consulting for a long time, over a decade big health tech implementations. So things like Connect, which was a big state-based exchange for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. It was the most successful of the 16 state-based exchanges created under Obamacare. We'd already enrolled 100,000 people while all the other ones were still struggling just to get up and not crash. So, but did a, a ton of those with, you know, public sector, private sector, and then eventually just you know, after a number of projects that really just didn't meet customer expectations, I thought there had to be a better way. You know, we were basically delivering these massive 60 to $100 million projects. And at the end of it, the customer's needs weren't being met. And so I founded initially a company called Thoroughbred Solutions part-time, which was primarily a staffing company. So we did talent for big tech and then grew that as a side hustle that gave me the startup capital to turn around and do a SaaS partners, which is what I run now. So at SaaS partners, we're a little bit different. We have what's called a human centric approach to design and development. So we're really focused on incorporating the end users at every step of the process, right? Making sure that we have a great way to collect that feedback and to make sure that expectations are being met so that when we actually go to turn over and deliver that product, there's no surprises, right? They're getting exactly what they signed up for. And so as far as that goes, we run things a little bit different. We have what's called a studio model where instead of just letting go of the developers that I have as they roll off projects, we keep them. And what we've done instead is start building our own products. And so that's something that's been really exciting to me is just being able to identify needs in various market niches and then to go out and attack those using a, a framework that we've developed in-house that we have been extremely successful with. And so that's how over the past five years, I've built not one, but five different multi-million dollar businesses. That's amazing. And so I'm excited to dive into that and hopefully be able to, you know, get a little bit of the framework out of here or just guidance with it. Cause you know, that's what a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs are looking to do. They're looking to bootstrap and build something successful for whatever reason, you know, but financial freedom, time freedom, you know, be able to help more. So there's all these reasons, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to building a system and a structure that's successful 
because you know we hear about so many startups that don't make it due to many facets, but what you're talking about, that framework is probably the biggest one, not having that in place. So where do we start if we're bootstrapping a business You know, with that framework? How can we start to build something that's going to be successful for us, in your opinion? It all starts with the problem. Right. If your product or your service doesn't solve a problem, then you have a problem. Right. <laughs> and so I think where most founders make the biggest missteps is early on in the process. So I basically divide it into two buckets. You've got your technical founders, you've got your non-technical founders. Your non-technical founders traditionally are really strong in marketing and really strong in sales or somewhere in that. And so they're looking at the problem through the lens of the customer. You look at your technical founders and they're really good at building product. And so they may not have that marketing or that sales background and they just want to build, right? And so Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you need to have both. I think if you front load that entire process by going really deep and defining your ideal customer profiles, your buyer personas, then it gives you a much better North Star in terms of actually building out that product. So you can really go deep and figure out, okay, who is this going to support? What problem am I solving? What's the language you know, or the terminology that I need to understand to be able to relate to the people within this demographic, within this target audience? So you have to go basically a mile deep and an inch wide instead of what most people do, which is go a mile wide and an inch deep. Right? <laughs> right. So you've really got to understand as much as you can about your customers and you have to get your product or your proposed product, in most cases, the way that we do things into the hands of you know, our target customers up front so that we can start getting feedback. And the mm-hmm. earlier that you can get feedback and the faster that you can iterate, the more success that you're going to find. And that long story short. Yeah. So a couple of things there, obviously I want to dive into like your strategies on picking that kind of target market, things like that. But what you just said of getting into the hands of that target. So do you recommend like with that, is it like pro bono type thing, like for free just to get feedback or do you still charge for it, but maybe a lower rate just again to get that feedback and maybe testimonials? I hate free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason is that you're never going to get as good of feedback from a free user as you are from mm-hmm. someone that is actually paying, right? Someone that right. actually has skin in the game. So it's one of those things where if you look at the statistics of all the companies that have freemium models, most people drop off after a week, right? So you're not getting any actionable data. You're not collecting anything that's actually going to put the needle or push your company forward. So what we've done is pre-sales. So I've had mm-hmm. companies that we have had 10, 15, 20, 25,000 in monthly recurring revenue without a product, right? <laughs> so we're basically selling the dream, selling the idea, and then working those users in as quickly as we can, finding those early adopters, and then really focusing on them achieving the value proposition or receiving the benefits from that value proposition so that we can turn around and have testimonials so that we can have all the other things that we need in order to build out case studies and really go deep and actually sell the product. That's huge. And so how do you sell that idea, that dream with the pre-sales? I think a lot of people might hear that and kind of be like, oh my gosh, that's scary. Like I don't actually have something. How can I sell that? So we always start with an MVP. And within that MVP, we focus on one feature solving one problem. And so if you look at the pain points that your customers have, and if you can just save them time, save them money, save them human capital, whatever that may be, whatever their savings, it's enough to justify making that purchase, right? So you have to have something that is not a desire, but an actual need, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest difference. The products that we're building solve problems. They fill needs. They're not things that people are like, oh, hey, that would be nice to have. Right. I think that's the biggest difference. 
So how do people make sure they're filling a need and not just a want? Because some people might see their product as a need, but it is a want. So what's the difference there for people who might be, you know, trying to figure that out? Yeah, great question. So I think a lot of people have a tendency to get too close to their products in that regard. I see so many founders that make the mistake of basically they'll run into a problem that they have within their industry or that they see within another industry. But just because a founder has that problem doesn't mean that the rest of the market has that problem. There may be other products out there that they're not aware of. There may be other workarounds or a better process that can be followed in order to, you know, avert the need of having a product such as the one that they're building. And so that's where the market research piece of it comes in. You have to really understand who your competitors are, what they provide, what they offer, and then you have to understand how you can differentiate yourself. So when we look at going into different markets or building software products, mm-hmm. we're looking at markets that have low to medium competition. We're looking at markets where, you know, we have a TAM of a couple billion, something that is sizable enough to where it's going to make it matter, but that we can actually chunk out some market share, right? So, you know, it's one of those things where you just want to go as deep as possible in understanding that customer. And then from there, everything else kind of falls into place. So as long as you know what that problem is that you're trying to solve and you have validated that it is in fact a problem, then you should be fine. Awesome. That's crucial. And for those who don't know, can you define TAM for them real quick? Total addressable market. Okay, perfect. And what does that mean? Total addressable market is the total size of the market in terms of the actual opportunity for the industry that you're selling into. So when you go to build out your strategy, you're looking at markets that have a sizable enough cap where basically there's a return on investment. Gotcha. Perfect. And how can people find that TAM within the different markets? Is it just a Google search? Is there a place to go? Yeah. Quick Google search. We'll find it for most markets. There's traditionally annual and sometimes quarterly reports, depending on what industry that you're actually targeting. And there's a ton of great resources that you can actually purchase. So Gartner's one that does some great research. They publish one, I believe still quarterly. It'll give you all the market leaders. It'll give you, you know, pretty much everything, the total spend, what they're spending money on, a lot of information packed in that. Awesome. Cool. Now that's great information to know. And a great resource I think a lot of people probably miss is looking up that TAM. So I appreciate diving in and breaking that down with that. And I think it's interesting too, you're saying like going and searching market. So a lot of people, they turn yeah. into a market that they're familiar with or that they're in, or, you know, that's how Elevate started. You know, I was just doing podcasting and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of grew from there, but looking in a different business ideas going forward now, it's like, do you have to look in a market that you're super well-versed in or that you're already in, in some form or fashion, or is it okay to just expound and, and kind of do the research into others? At this point, I've launched products in all types of different industries. A lot of them, I had no background. I've got things in health and wellness, enterprise communications. I've got things in automation, CRM. I've got, you know, bunch of different tools. I've got tools in the equine industry. So I'm here based in Lexington, Kentucky. So we build a SaaS platform for all the horse farm owners for them to do their studying and their breeding and their racing and everything else. You know, again, just felt like the right thing to do being here in Kentucky, but had no background in the industry. So a lot of it is just extracting that information from potential clients, from potential customers, really understanding through interview processes and evaluations, you know, if there's a need, what that need looks like. Is this a need that is unique to a specific horse farm in this case, or is this something that is industry-wide? So going back to that TAM, you've got three things. You've got your TAM, you've got your SAM, you've got your SOM. 
right? <laughs> your TAM, as we talked about, is your total addressable market. Your SAM is your segmented addressable market, which is within your TAM. Then you want to look at, okay, out of this entire market, who are the people that I'm drilling down to actually focus on? So like within livestock, you're going down into horses. Basically, is that right? Or am I tracking yeah. with that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It could be, or it could be out of the entire equine industry, which covers a lot of things. It covers everything oh, outside of breeding to racing to studying to, you know, you name it. There's a ton of different verticals within that industry. Okay. And then you nail down from that. So we say, okay, our TAM is this. Now we're going down to our SAM, which is our segment addressable market. We're looking mm-hmm. specifically at horse farms that are breeding racehorses, right? Exactly. Thoroughbreds here in Kentucky. Yeah. So, And then we're going down from that to what's called the SOM, which is your serviceable attainable market, right? And so these are the types of farms, whether that is the size, whether that is the number of horses that they have, et cetera, that may need a solution for this, right? So it's kind of like looking at it from the macro and then diving down into the micro and then really understanding, okay, how big is this problem? Is there enough capital in this industry to warrant a return on our investment? Yeah. Going through that right there, I think is so critical and such like, if that's all we talked about today, that is huge for so many, I think startups. I know me, especially too, even thinking on it because you hear all the time, don't narrow down, you'll box yourself in a corner, but being specific, advice. yeah. Being specific prints money is what I was told one time. Being it specific. Is. Yeah. The more specific you can be, the better. I always say niche down. I always tell all my clients that whenever we're starting, because you have to niche down in order to scale up. Right. And what I mean by that, say you're wanting to launch a CRM product, right? Mm-hmm. And you have a million CRMs out there. It's an extremely competitive market. But if you want to go through that anyway, there's still a ton of money to be made. Right. Yeah. And so the way that people enter into that market, the way that we did it is that we get very specific on who our target customer is. Right. We don't try to say, Hey, we're going to service any business. We say we're going to go out and we're going to target health and wellness people. Right. We're going to focus on these personal trainers that need a system for generating new clients, generating new leads, things like that. We're going to build out the entire platform around that ideal customer profile, right? So it goes really deep on who they are, how they work, right? Where they work, et cetera. And so from there, as we go to grow, then we can start looking at tangential ICPs or we can start looking at how we can pivot and start eating up a larger chunk of share, right? And because when you niche down, you're going to be able to, number one, go very deep with one ICP, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're going to be able to get all the kinks out of your process, your onboarding processes, right? Your customer support, your customer success, et cetera. And then you're going to be able to scale up to meet the needs and to actually turn and pivot into some of those other industries or some new ICPs. I think that's critical. And like I said, even with Elevate, you know, we've been focusing on online coaches, but are looking to, you know, niche down into certain online coaches and even farther down there. So I think even myself, we're still in that process to really hone in on who we help to start because we're still young. I mean, we're a year in and I mean, thankful for where we're at, but there's a lot of room for improvement for sure with us even. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. I mean, if you're ever at a point where you feel like there's no room for improvement, then you've got a bigger problem, right? Yeah. There's always something new to learn. There's always something, you know, that will help you grow. Resources are everywhere. So it's just being a student of life at that point. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, bootstrapping a company comes with its, you know, challenges, its obstacles to overcome. But what are some obstacles that you found at this new level, you know, creating these multi-million dollar companies that people might not even think about like in the future 
that could come up? What's kind of a hard obstacle that you've been had to overcome recently? There's so many. I mean, uh, <laughs> the biggest thing, and I, of course, I've got a huge team now across mm-hmm. you know a number of different companies, so it gets easier as you grow. But I liken it to you know you have problems of scale, right? Mm-hmm. And so the dragons that you have to slay when you're a scrappy startup are not the same dragons that you have to slay, you know, when you're a venture backed company or when you're growing past a million ARR, 5 million ARR, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the size of the problems, the magnitude of the problems change, but they exist and they're persistent. You know, there's always things to do. There's always things to fix. Any founder knows that, right? The biggest Mm -hmm. thing is focusing on what's important, knowing what's important, right? I think is the biggest key, even more important. And that would be the revenue generating activities, right? If it's not driving revenue, if it's not contributing to the bottom line, it's not contributing to growth, then those are things that need to be delegated or pushed off. For sure. I've heard, you know, new levels, new devils, things like that. Like it's just like looking back to when I first started, you know, even trying to build a business, like the problems then were what in the world am I doing? Like, how do I find clients? And, you know, understanding that now it's okay. How can I niche down correctly? How can I scale at the right pace? So I'm not spread too thin. How do I improve like the onboarding process? All those. And it's like thinking and looking back to when I started, I wasn't even thinking of these problems you know, at the time. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I was worrying about like things that you didn't need to worry about. And now, so it's crazy how it just fluctuates as you grow. And I mean, it's exciting because it's like, okay, so what does tomorrow hold? What obstacle am I going to have to overcome? And I'm not going to hopefully have to worry about these in the future. The ones I'm dealing with now, like it'll be something completely different. So. And when you're a scrappy startup, it's the same thing. I mean, the biggest problems that I run into now are primarily with people and scaling, Mm. right? Because you go from, a small team, a founder-led team doing founder-led sales in most cases, right? And now you have a sales team. Now you have a sales manager that's managing your sales team. Now you have a VP of sales that's managing them, that's managing them. So, you know, understanding where to get your information from, even though I have a big company, I still get all my information from five to 10 people, right? So it's very interesting just the dynamic as it changes. And again, it's fluid. Everything in startups is very fluid. So you mentioned something earlier though, that I think is the foundational problem that every business has, right? And that is the ability to actually acquire customers. Mm -hmm. So if you can solve that, right, then you're going to be okay. The rest of it, you can figure out, you know, just by being a kind and compassionate person, being a good person, the rest of it, you can figure out, you know, people will forgive if you don't do a seamless job of onboarding. People will forgive if you don't have automated billing or send invoices on time. People are very forgiving of that, right? People are not forgiving of people not being kind. So it's all about how you handle situations. But again, you know, as you scale, you're inevitably going to run into new challenges. Yeah. And it's a cool, like just being on this journey again, like I have lots going forward that I want to do and things, but just looking back and just kind of recapping the journey so far, it's a blessing, all the obstacles, because it's led and the growth come from it and things like that. And so like, if you're just starting, if you're bootstrapping and you know, don't give up, just keep moving forward. And it's an exciting thing to be a part of for sure. So, yeah. And I think the biggest thing too, is that understanding that these things take time, right? Mm -hmm. You can't tackle everything at the same time, right? You have to be focused. And so that's why you need to prioritize what those challenges are, what needs to be done. And the other thing is I see so many founders nowadays that I, that I really appreciate is they're doing this, they're starting their companies as a side hustle, 
right? Yep. Especially with remote work being the primary way that people actually, you know, complete work these days. Yeah. You have so much more free time to actually pursue other hobbies, interests, things like that. And so I see so many founders that are, you know, working 40 hours a week and then coming back and building on the side until they actually have some paying customers or have some traction. And then they're able to devote you know, their full time and attention to it. Yeah. And so I think that's something else that people really underestimate, especially people with families and things like that. Mm-hmm. Don't just quit your job to go out and do this. Make sure like that- I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that do and a lot of people have success. If you can find mm-hmm. customers, then you have no problem. But right. so many people go out there without a plan with just an idea. It drives me crazy. So yeah, it is not for the faint of heart, just quitting your job and trying no, to, man, not. I don't recommend it to anyone, but <laughs> it's been great. I got a couple more questions, Patrick. And yeah. With that, so one is you've given a lot of great information, a lot of, you know, those nuggets for people. Is there an industry right now that if someone's trying to think of a market to get into that, like off the top of your head, like, oh, you should look into this market. Is there something out there right now that's kind of going well? Chris, you know, I can't tell you that because I'm trying to get into those more. <laughs> I got you. Competition. No, no I competition. Know. No, no. There's so many. I think communication, especially going forward with everything that's evolving within Web3, obviously mm-hmm. that's a hot space. The areas in Web3 that I see that need the most amount of work are all around user experience. Okay. I think the company that comes in and nails user experience in Web3 is going to be huge. That's one area that I see communication platforms around product launches, such as think of things like NFTs, ICOs, Mm -hmm. new Web3 projects, even. Everyone's still using Discord as the de facto (laughs) platform, even though it has too many problems to list. It just wasn't built for Web3, right? right? So I think whoever replaces that and builds that out in Web3, I think those are big things. In your traditional markets, Anything that has aging tech, right? So we went into the horse industry. Everything was old and antiquated. We started building out all these processes that were still paper-based. So anywhere that you Mm -hmm. see paper processes or you see long turnaround times, long processing times, those are ripe for the picking. So I always look for processes that are being done manually still, figuring out, okay, if I automate this process like we did for the equine industry, you know, we're going in and saving those farms an average of 60,000 a year while providing new capabilities. Stuff like that is an easy way to build out a business. Absolutely. And look for opportunities, look for processes that are older aging or that haven't been, you know, modernized in a long time. That's a great place to start. Awesome. I appreciate sharing. Those are good things to look for. And and that's one thing, you know, starting out, I didn't even think of is, is looking into different markets. And so I think that's so crucial just to be open to what's out there because it can open up a lot of good doors with that. And when we get into those markets, I'd love to hear your opinion on this because you hear, especially, you know, like I said, I'm focused on online coaching industry, but you know, high ticket versus low ticket. Is there one better than the other to get started? Do you recommend? High ticket, 100%. That's why yeah, okay. without a doubt. I mean, and the biggest thing there is when you look at your unit economics, right? I always look at it through the lens of any new company I start, I want to get to a million in revenue, right? That's okay. the first feather in your cap. That's the first big milestone, especially for SaaS companies. And so if I want to get to a million, I basically break it down and work backwards, right? What is my customer willing to pay based on the amount of value that I'm providing? And then going you know, overboard on over delivering 
on that value so that I'm able to retain those people, ensuring that through those customer success practices that we have, that they're actually receiving the benefits of our product. And then basically weaponizing those clients to then turn around and go get more clients, right? Mm -hmm. That's effectively what I'm doing through collecting those testimonials, through those building out those case studies, is I'm basically making it easy to turn one into 10. And so if you go the high ticket route, we traditionally don't really mess with anything in terms of businesses that we're building out in B2C. We always focus on B2B and enterprise. Mm -hmm. So it makes it very easy to justify spending $3,000, $5,000, $6,000 a year. So if your annual contract value is somewhere in that three to 6,000 range, it's very easy to quantify the number of customers that you need to actually achieve those milestones. For sure. Yeah. It just opened another question in my mind. Do you find like the SaaS is a better business model than say like a service provider, like what we're doing at Elevate, where we have different services we have to do. Do you find SaaS is better? I don't necessarily think it's better. I think that it's more scalable, right? And I think that's the reason that so many people lean towards SaaS to start new businesses. It's in the cloud in terms of the architecture, in terms of the technology, you can scale it out pretty much infinitely. It's more a matter of being able to actually capture and onboard and actually win those customers, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. going back to the high ticket thing, it's especially starting out in founder-led sales, it's a lot easier to replace, you know, your existing salary like I did, right? I Mm -hmm. replaced my salary before quitting my job. Yeah. And so, you know, it takes very few sales if you're doing high ticket versus if you're running $19 a month membership programs. So again, that would okay. be my advice to, to anyone awesome. starting out is, is figure out how you can create enough value to actually justify the ticket price. For sure. No, absolutely. And I appreciate that. So Patrick, this has been a great conversation. I've appreciated your time and what you shared. I think there's a lot of actual tips that people can use today to, to really make some change. To kind of end out, you know, what is something fun that you do? Do you have a hobby outside of, you know, building multi-million dollar businesses just to people to get to know you a little bit better? I've got too many hobbies, man. My wife gives me a hard time. I'm one of those people, I consider myself to be extremely creative. So I also have the mindset or the mentality that there's nothing that I can't do with enough time and effort. And so I build stuff. I build all kinds of stuff, anything from woodworking to remodeling houses. I can (laughs) do anything top to bottom in a house. You know, so I used to flip houses on the side before I got my businesses took off and I got extremely busy again, Mm -hmm. just something to to train the body, train the brain. Right. So I do stuff like that. And then I'm an avid sports fan. That's awesome. You got a favorite team or sport? Georgia Bulldogs finally won a championship (laughs) after uh, about 40 years. So there you go. Well, that's awesome. Well, Patrick, again, appreciate you've been on Elevate Your Brand today and sharing everything. So thank you so much. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. No problem. And make sure if you're tuning into this, share this with someone who you know who's starting their business or you know, if you have a networking event talking about bootstrapping or building brands. So we appreciate the share, appreciate the subscribes. It helps us grow and help more people. So uh, until next time, just continue to go out there and make a difference. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode today. If you found value at all from this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It just helps us get this show, these messages out in front of more people. And don't forget to share this with someone who you think could benefit from listening to as well.